Thank you, my dear. My name is Colonel Frank H. W. Miller, and I've been asked to talk to you today about the wonderful subject of divine digits. I am delighted to do so. There are so many aspects of this topic that I would joy to discuss with you. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, which is almost the number of miles you would need to drive from the Neaton if you were going to Madrid, the capital of Spain. It would take you approximately 18 and a half hours to do this journey without a stop. Reading the Bible from cover to cover would take you slightly longer than this, but give it a go, it is well worth it. Psalm 117 is the middle chapter of the Bible and is also the shortest one. As you read the Bible you will notice that certain digits pop up regularly. The numbers 3, 7, 12 and 40 are perhaps the best known. Number 3. There are three persons in the Trinity. There were three kings of the United Kingdom and three items were put in the Ark of the Covenant. Number 7. There are seven days of the week. Seven colours in the rainbow, and seven is used in the book of Revelation a great deal. Number twelve, then. There are twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus had twelve disciples, and there are still twelve months in the year. Number forty. Jesus was in the wilderness after his baptism for forty days. Moses' life can be split into forty-year segments, and the spies were in Canaan for forty days. 316 seems a very important set of digits in the Bible. John 316 can be recited by many people. But what about Acts 316, Ephesians 316, Colossians 316, 2 Timothy 316 and 1 John 316? I love Numbers and there is of course a book in the Old Testament called Numbers. It is the fourth book of the Bible and is called Numbers due to the two censuses that the Israelites took during that period. In the Greek language, the book is called Arithmoi. In this book, we are reminded that God is always holy and faithful, and mankind is often not. God, Moses and Aaron are the most important people in this book. If you Google divine digits, you'll find lots of shops in America that help ladies and gentlemen to have super-looking nails on their hands. This, of course, has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, the digits we find in the Bible and how brilliant they are. You can have a lot of fun with numbers. I think God made it that way. In fact, let's end with some fun. Are you sitting comfortably? Lovely. Then think of a number. Don't tell me out loud, but I do want you to remember it. Now double that number. I'd like you to add six, please. Okay, now you should half that number and subtract the number you started with, if you still can remember it. I know for a fact your answer is the number three. I hope to discuss some other important themes with you in the future, and I really look forward to that. Cheerio for now. Did you all get three? Yes! <laughs> Isn't that clever? Thank you, Colonel. So, three weeks ago, when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, I thought divine digits was a, a phrase that popped into my mind. And so I thought, yes, great. I told the Colonel about it, and he came up with ideas like that. And uh, that's on YouTube, of course, so if you want to see it again, you might welcome too. So, 
what we want to try and do today is think about divine digits, but not all the numbers that the colonel was talking about, because like the colonel, I really love numbers. For instance, I bet you know this, the number four is the only word, uh, the only number in the English language written as a word that has the same number of letters that it signifies as a number. Four. Like, the number one has three letters. Who thought of that? It should have one letter, shouldn't it? But number four is brilliant. And there's lots of other numbers in the Bible we could look at and enjoy. And we could just, for 30 minutes, just say, oh, fancy that. And, oh, isn't that significant? And, oh, fancy that. And all that sort of thing. But we're not going to do that today. All right? I was getting all excited a few weeks ago thinking that's what we could do. But there is, if you think about digits... It's not just numbers, but it's fingers as well. And what we're going to do today is think not about what the colonel was doing, but think more about Jesus' hands and his digits. And so we've got seven points that we're going to be thinking about with regard to Jesus' hands. And the first one is Jesus' hands are life-giving. All right? From Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do you know, it's God that put the stripes on the zebras. Very clever idea as well, wasn't it? It was God that gave rabbits big ears. And hairs. God made all the different colours in the world. God made all the clouds and all the different types of precipitation we have. And didn't we have a lot of precipitation yesterday and the day before and the day before that? But God made all the different types of precipitation that we have. God made us all. Do you know what? When I was a baby, I was beautiful. Some people laugh, but it's true. I was beautiful when I was born, but there was something wrong with me. My sister came out of my mum five minutes before, and I was in a breech position. But in those days, there was no C-section that we had then. We'd just get on with it. And, but it wasn't that. That wasn't what was wrong with me. The doctors didn't even know what was wrong with me. And if they had done, medicine wouldn't have helped in the 1960s. The thing was, I had sin in my life. So I might have been a beautiful baby, but I wasn't really. Thank goodness God came and sorted it all out. Because we might sort of think, yes, he's formed us and he's the potter and we sing a song about that. But Jesus came to change us, to make us a new creation. Romans three twenty three from The Voice, it says, you see... All have sinned, and all their futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. The message describes that same verse as, Since we've all compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life God's wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. 
and he did it by means of Jesus Christ. So, God made us in the first place, but he saw what was wrong with the human race. He sorted us out. Here's a few verses from 2 Corinthians that I'm sure you're familiar with as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So the brilliant thing is, he's made all these beautiful things in the first place, on the earth and beyond the earth. Like, maybe you're astronomers, are you? Or do you ever look at it? But maybe you just sort of like the other week, there was an eclipse in America, weren't there? And people are going, oh, great, all this stuff and, and that. And I just think of Patrick Moore and people like that, people that really know about God, uh, about stars and things like that. And what they do is they tell us about it and we get the idea that, wow, creation is much bigger than we know about. And also creation is much, much smaller than we know about as well. So God created that first creation and he's made us all new creations by Jesus. It reminds me of that song that we sometimes sing, that line, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Jesus' hands are life-giving. But also, they're comforting. John 11.35, Jesus wept. You might know the story, because Lazarus had just died. And he was going to, uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he was going to see, see them, and it was Mary and Martha who were his sisters. But I bet he didn't just say words to them. I bet he came along. Jill, I might do this a few times, but you're in the front row, and it's okay, because she's my wife, I can just go like this. I bet Jesus put his arms round Mary and Martha, didn't he? He didn't just sort of say, pull yourself together. It's going to be all right. Look, in five minutes, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Don't cry, it's all right. He didn't say that, did he? But didn't he know about that? Certainly did. But Jesus wept. Martha meets Jesus first and I think Martha gives him a bit of a scolding sort of say well she didn't raise a finger I'm sure but kind of the idea is Jesus if you'd been here Lazarus wouldn't be dead why wouldn't you here you could have done it and you knew it was but Mary wasn't like that she came she was crying and friends with her as well and in verse 33 where it says Jesus was deeply moved in spirit the Greek word is a long one, so I'm just going to say it syllable by syllable. Is that all right? Okay. Embrilomai, or something like that. But the important thing is not the word, but it originally meant a horse snorting. Now, I used to watch Black Beauty, and it did that sometimes. Well, I won't do it. <laughs> but you know what I mean when a horse snorts? It's really deep, and it's powerful, and it's strong. And that's what Jesus was feeling. 
Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, and it's from the same sort of word as a horse snorting. He was really shaken by their grief. It was a strong word. And when Mary and the crowd are crying, John, who wrote that gospel, uses the word cleo, and it's just an outburst of crying due to uh, pain and grief. But he uses a different word for Jesus, and it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it's the word adaskrin, and it means, it depicts silently crying. And when I've read about it this week, some people sort of say it's just like one tear just going down his cheek. So everyone else was wailing and, and sort of making a lot of noise about it. Jesus wept. Maybe just that one tear. He really felt their emotion. He wanted to comfort them. Because that, what they were experiencing was real. He knew that in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, their emotions were going to be all over the place because something different and wonderful was going to happen that they weren't expecting. But in that moment, they were grief-stricken and Jesus was with them, consoling and comforting them. Perhaps most of us, for most of us, Psalms are great. And Psalm 23 might be our favourite psalm. There's lots of great psalms. I know that's up there with me. And it says, he leads me beside still or quiet waters. And I was just thinking to myself this week that God doesn't send his angels to comfort us. It doesn't say God sends his angels to lead me beside quiet waters. But he leads me beside quiet waters. So again, when we're needing comfort, God doesn't send a deputy, although he often does through us, but he's there. He's in the midst. He's with us. When we need a shoulder to cry on, God's with us, experiencing just like we are. But just he leads me beside quiet waters. I don't want to keep picking on Jill all the time. So, John, you're just there as well. So, could I stand up? Now, I want to lead John around. What's the best thing to do? Come on, John. Come on, John. Is this the best way to do it? Come on, John. Come with me. This is what God does, isn't it? God says he leads me beside quiet waters. To see the physical contact? God is leading us. He loves us. He's taken us where we're not sure about, but he's with us. Thank you. And he's great because as he loves us and takes us to these different places, his hand's in our hand. He's leading us. Not, come on, come this way. I've got a sheepdog that will get you in the right place. It's nothing like that. He's physical. He's close to us. Just when we need it the most, he leads us. Oh. I make it feel good. Because we all have good times and not so easy times. But God is with us. There's a prayer sometimes I might pray at the beginning of the day. Lord, lead me in your way today. Whether there are surprises or monotony, I want to be with you. And maybe some of you last night watched Strictly Come Dancing. Don't know, maybe some... I know I watched Strictly... And there was a bit where Tess was talking about Brucey. And Claudia was here, and Tess was here. And she was starting to well up about him. And what did Claudia do? 
put an arm around her. And then what did Tess do? This was really interesting. Come on, you're here. So I'm going to be Tess. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just talking about Brucey. And so you're going to... And then what did Tess do? She put her hand on Claudia's hand, just saying, pal, I need you in this moment because I've got millions of people looking at me. I'm trying to hold it together, but Bruce is my friend and you're being my friend. You're supporting me just when I need it. That's what happened last night. That was on the television. Millions of people saw some, a friend comforting another friend, supporting them when they need it the most. God does that to us. He comforts us. Really touched me when I saw that. And often television doesn't really touch me. It's sort of, I just think, it's just television, it's a bit of fluff and all that. But that was real emotion there. And they were responding to each other. They were friends. And they were sort of expressing it to millions of people in body language. And it really touched me. So Jesus' hands are life-giving. They're comforting. This is number three. They are also healing. Matthew, uh, Mark, rather, Mark 1, 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. Now, Jesus was exhibiting lots of compassion when he was healing this person here. And it's another fantastic Greek word. I'm saying it in my head so it sounds better. Splagchon. Or something like that. I'm going to spell it to you. Because I'm sure if you're from Greece, you wouldn't have recognised my pronunciation at all. You'd be saying, pardon? So this is how it's spelt. S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-O-N. That's the compassion bit. And it means the inner parts. So Jesus was saying, with my kidneys and with my lungs, with my guts and with my heart, that's what we say in this, I love you with all my heart, isn't it? So in other countries, they might say, I love you with all my kidneys, and things like that, might not they? It's sort of a, a real internal thing. And so Jesus was saying, yeah, with everything within me, I've got compassion on you. I'm going to reach out and touch you and heal you. Do you know what? That was life-changing. It was history-making, because in the Bible, in the Torah, like Leviticus and all of that, it was saying that if a clean person touched an unclean person, and definitely a leper was an unclean person, they'd have all sores on them, they'd smell a lot. It wouldn't be very pleasant. But if a clean person touched an unclean person, what happened to the clean person? They became unclean. This was the first time ever, as far as I'm aware, of what I remember, that someone that was clean, who touched someone who was unclean, person became clean. History changing. And Jesus is still doing that today. He's changing history. He's changing the possibilities of what we believe can happen. So instead of keeping away from the and saying, go and wash yourself in the river seven times or whatever, he touched them and said, be clean. And so the amazing thing was, immediately the person was healed. And so the tables had been turned. Instead of just expecting the person, Jesus to become unclean because there was an unclean person he touched, the clean person made the unclean person clean. 
whoa, that's amazing. It just reminds me of someone like Princess Diana, who we've been thinking about maybe sort of the last sort of few days. And when she was alive, she was well-known, wasn't she, for going and shaking hands with people with AIDS and things like that, or going to people that really were down and out and not easy. But Jesus went there first. Jesus set the example. Jesus coming to earth really set the example, not just touching unclean people, but coming here. So, Jesus' life-giving, his hands are comforting, healing. Number four, they're protecting. Now, over the last few weeks, some of us have been thinking about Peter and his life and what he wrote, because we've been thinking about his epistles, his two books that he wrote about. This really sort of gets my attention when I read this. Matthew 14, how Peter walked on the water, just as Jesus was. And so we're thinking about this idea of protecting, and it's this word, grabbed. Jesus, when Peter was sinking, Jesus immediately reached out. Again, it's Jesus' hand going outwards and grabbed him. How strong was that? Was it just a light touch? If someone's sinking, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, do you sort of just lightly touch him? It was now a big, full-on, come on, Peter, come to the top again, let's get in the boat, all's going to be safe. But the interesting thing was, because Peter was terrified and confused, because the uh, Bible talks about how the boat was being buffeted by the wind. Can I hear any wind? Okay, I'm in the boat. Okay, I've got out... the wind's sort of gone down. Thank you, Jill. So the wind is going, whoo, the waves are whooshing up and down. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking. Maybe is he a bit uncertain at first or is he just like that? I don't know. But after a while, a moment or a minute, I don't know, he starts sinking. I'll do it on a baptistry because that seems appropriate, doesn't it? So, so he starts sinking just here. And what happens is, when he, got, when he was in the boat, Peter said to Jesus, if you are the Lord, tell me to come out. He's thinking now, does he say the word if? No, the if is gone. It's not, oh, I wonder if that's the Lord. It's, Lord, I need you. He knew. And so again, these hard things in life can transform us from saying, if, Lord, you want this, if, Lord, I'm here, hearing you properly, we definitely know. We've been through a bit of turmoil. We've been sinking on a lake. And now all of a sudden we know, Lord, it's you. There's no if anymore, because that's what's happened to Peter. And it's amazing as well, because a few hours earlier, the big miracle of the 5,000 men being uh, uh, fed was happening. And that was a really public miracle. But when Jesus and Peter got in the boat, the disciples that were in the boat had seen a really private miracle. And what did the disciples do? It's the first time they'd done it. They'd known Jesus for a few months, but they worshipped him. It says it in uh, Matthew 14. Have a look a bit later. And you'll see that the disciples, when Peter and Jesus got back in the boat, worshipped Jesus. They'd seen something that was happening. They'd been transformed and not just Peter. Life-giving, comforting, healing, protecting. Mysterious. 
Jesus' hands are mysterious. In John 8, 6, you might remember that some uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law brought a woman to Jesus and she committed adultery. And so they're saying, yeah, she needs to sort of uh, be stoned. She needs to have the sort of the, uh, the punishment. Thank you, that's the word I'm thinking of. She should have the punishment that she's due because she's sort of done something wrong and so she should be stoned. And they're badgering him and saying, come on, Jesus, we need to do this. But Jesus just stoops down. They're still badgering him. They're still saying, Jesus this, Jesus that. But he's just starts writing something down. Now, I'd love to know what he'd written down, but John doesn't say, because John's there, he's looking at what's going on, but in John's Gospel, chapter, whatever it was, chapter 8, he doesn't say what Jesus wrote down. It's all a bit mysterious. But he's just writing something down. And then they're still badgering, and then he sort of gets up and looks at them, and what does he say? Something really amazing. If you've, without sin... You cast the first stone. And he just gets down, stoops again, and just writing. And the interesting thing is, the people start to disappear. The older ones first, it says in the Bible as well, isn't it? Because often the older people might have more sense, and they think, oh, Jesus has got us again. We we'll, must try harder another time, I bet they are thinking. But the brilliant thing was, they had to wait for the answer. It was a bit of a mystery. Jesus could have said that real phrase straight away. They could have said, blah, 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 let this woman die because of the needs of punishment, because of her sin. And Jesus straight away could have said, but who's without sin here? If you're without sin, you throw the first stone. But they had to wait. Well, Jesus was just doing something mysterious. And that got me thinking. Sometimes in my life, I'm saying, Jesus... I need you to answer that prayer straight away. I'm a bit of a pickle here. Lord, will you come and help us? Will you come and do something? Or a friend's in a pickle and they just need something. There's a bit of a hoo-ha going on. Lord, will you help us? But isn't it a mystery where sometimes it just seems all quiet? It's a mystery as well how God loves us that much. He'd come and die for us. We touched on it earlier. But one of my favourite chapters in the whole Bible, and there's 1,189 chapters, as the good colonel told us, but one of my favourite chapters is Isaiah chapter 40. And in verse 12 it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Just have a look at the hollow of your hand. Now consider God's hand. We couldn't even get Coventry Canal in our hand or the River Anchor. And yet God has the River Anchor, the Coventry Canal, the River Severn, the River Ganges, the Indian Ocean the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Southern Ocean. Can you think of a name of a water? Don't tell me, just keep it in your head. But he can put all of those in his hand. And yet God, who's that big and that mighty and that brilliant, 
decided to come down to earth as a baby. That's a mystery. But more than that, then he decided to die for us a horrific, terrible death. That's a mystery, isn't it? That God would do something like that for us. Life-giving, comforting, healing, protecting, mysterious, challenging. Jesus' hands are challenging. In Matthew 4, verse 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And just as earlier I was taking John by the hand and didn't beckon him and say, Come this way, come this way. I bet this time Jesus might have beckoned them and said, Come on, come this way. Come on, come this way, because I've got something amazing that you're going to do, something that you wouldn't expect. Jesus still beckons us today. We're his disciples, aren't we? And Jesus is beckoning us today to do this. Philippians 2. You might know it. I'll read it out anyway. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus says today, fish for people, but he also says, forgive others. He also says, take up your cross every day. He also says, focus on me, focus on Jesus. So that challenge is still there. Jesus says, follow me still. And he says that to us. And he says that to the people that are just driving around or in the houses nearby. He's saying that to them too. So, Jesus' hands a life-giving, comforting, healing, protecting, mysterious, challenging. But that's six so far. There's one more. They are waiting for you. Jesus, the light of the world, is waiting for you. It wasn't just Jesus and the disciples then. But we're his disciples, as we said. And what are we going to do now about it? Jesus, through St. John, wrote a letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, 19, verse 20, uh, verse, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And J.B. Phillips, in 1960, he translated it like this. All those whom I love are correct and discipline. Therefore, shake off your complacency and repent. See, I stand knocking at the door. If anyone listens to my voice and opens the door, I will go into his house and dine with him and he with me. And that's what God is calling us to do today. To take his hand and say, yes, God, as a life giver, a comforter, a healer, protector, a mysterious person, a mysterious thing and a challenger, 
I'm going to take your hand today. I'm going to follow what you say to me wholeheartedly because you've set the pace, you've set the way. God wants us to take his hand today. The, the several verses that we're going to read now, just to encourage ourselves about it, from Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes or dreams, according to his power that is at work within, within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so as we take Jesus' hand this morning and say, Lord, I give you my life, I give everything I have, because I'm not alone, you're with me, right beside me, with that physical aspect that he's doing. Lord, I can imagine that infinitely, more than I can ever imagine or think or hope to understand, you're going to do things in my life and in people that I love because you're just so bigger and more amazing than I can ever imagine. And that's a challenge for all of us today. It's a challenge for me. That I want to say, Lord, you've got great plans for Ninneton. You've got great plans for this church and area. But Lord, I want to take your hand, I want to grasp your hand and say, I'm going to be following you, Lord, closely because you've got the ways of eternal life and you are the one who leads us. So we're going to pray and then Jill will help us to respond a bit and lead us in some worship as well. But that's the challenge. Jesus' hands are here and they are waiting for us to hold and to grasp and say, thank you, Lord, that you are with us. So let's just pray together now. Thank you, Lord, it is no accident that you came to earth. It wasn't by chance. Lord, we were all beautiful babies, I'm sure, when we were born. But Lord, you've made us all new creations. So Lord, even today, we carry on making us that new creation, developing us, changing us, as we give our lives to you again today and say, Lord, take it all. I don't want to just give you 90% or 95%. Lord, everything I have is yours. Lord, will you use us and change us and be glorified in the Neaton because of what you've done in our lives. Amen.